Well, good morning. It's, uh, man, great to be reminded that you can come to Jesus just as you are. That um, you don't have to fix yourself up before coming to Christ. You come just as you are. You come as a sinner. And uh, He's the one who cleanses you. That's just such a great reminder. So I pray you'll be able to do that here this morning. Just come to Christ in your heart. No matter who you are. No matter where you are. No matter what you've done. And, um, and, and, and let, him, just let Him love you uh, right where you are. Uh, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn to the book of Acts. I've been preaching through the book of Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 11, and we'll read through verse 26. Acts chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 11. As you turn there, let me say what a difference a week makes, huh? Uh, My word, Uh, last Saturday we were back in hibernation with uh, um, all kinds of crazy blizzard warnings, and you could get a sunburn probably today, so uh, that's Minnesota, isn't it? Uh, But I'm thankful the sun is out today. We are in Acts chapter 3. In just a couple minutes, we'll, we'll be starting in verse 11. Let's pray as we get going here. Well, Father, we do believe that we can come to Christ just as we are. That Jesus, you didn't come to save good people. You came to save sinners. And, and a lot of, of coming into the kingdom of God is just being willing to admit, I am a filthy sinner. I need you, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, you just beckon us to come to you as sinners. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that in our hearts, just in faith, you'd help us to come. Some of us this morning for the first time, just coming to you, Lord Jesus, and others coming maybe for the thousandth time, saying, Lord, yes, I'm already yours, but I still need you to wash my feet again today. So, Father, as we look into your word, I pray, Father, you just minister to us by your spirit. You'd enable us to see the beauties of Christ again here this morning. You'd grip our hearts again with the beauties of Christ and and you to help us, Lord, to come running to the Lord Jesus and, and just receive forgiveness, receive your love in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This, uh, this book of Acts here, it, it covers the historical events that took place after the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. Uh, Jesus came to earth, he, he lived, he died, he rose again to pay the penalty for sin, and Jesus then ascended back to heaven. And the book of Acts then covers the next 35 years in history as the 12 apostles and other early disciples then went out to spread the news about Christ. And you know, a lot of this book of Acts, it has to do with what many people would call soul winning. The the early disciples going out and seeking to win souls for Christ, seeking to bring non-Christians to to faith in in Christ, which, which Jesus told these original disciples to do just before His ascension. Matthew 28, He told them to go out and make more disciples or more followers of Christ. And in the book of Acts, that's now what we see these 
early Christians doing? They're, they're going out in obedience to Christ's command and they're seeking to, to win lost souls. Um, soul winning, which should still today be one of the primary things all Christians aim to do. Soul winning. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, preacher in England, 1800s, won thousands to Christ through his preaching. He wrote a book called The Soul Winner. If you've not read it, I would really encourage you to read it. The Soul Winner by Charles Spurgeon. His book starts like this. He says, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister or pastor. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. We should each say with Simon Peter, I go a-fishing. And with Paul, our aim should be that I might by all means save some. And now I, I, I don't know that uh, I would agree with Spurgeon that soul winning is the chief business of, of every pastor or that it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. B- but listen, soul winning should definitely be one of our main pursuits as as Christians. Jesus, He cares for the lost. He loves the lost. He, he, he wants us to seek to win the lost. Soul winning. And in Acts chapter 3 here in this passage, we can learn some things about soul winning. Uh, learn some things about sharing Christ with non-Christians because that's what the Apostle Peter does right here. Uh, at the start of Acts 3, which we covered two Sundays ago, Peter and John met a crippled man at the temple gate in Jerusalem. He was there begging. And, and Peter looked at the man and said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I ha- what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And, and Jesus, working through Peter, healed this man. And now here in the passage we're looking at today, this miracle now draws this enormous crowd at the temple and Peter and John suddenly have this open door to share Christ. And Peter, he does it. Let's go ahead and read it. Acts 3.11 While this man, the, the healed man, clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded there in the temple, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, the name of Jesus, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer... He thus fulfilled. 
Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets. And of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. So Peter shares shares Christ with this large crowd here at the temple. And, and we can learn some things here about soul winning, about sharing Christ with non-Christians. We, we see three elements here that are critical when it comes to, to sharing Christ. Whether you're sharing with a large crowd like this, or you're just sharing with a lost child or, or a lost friend. Uh, Rico Tice, in his book, Honest Evangelism, he talks about the three elements that we can see here in this passage. If you had Pastor Thomas's uh, evangelism class, if you took that last year, he talked about these three elements in that class there. Three elements we see here in this passage that are critical when it comes to sharing Christ with the lost. And the first thing we see here in this passage, in what Peter shares here, the first thing that is critical when sharing Christ with the lost is identity. Peter fleshes out for this crowd here the identity of Jesus, important for any Christian who's sharing Christ with another person. You want to answer the question, who is Jesus. You don't have to share everything about Jesus with someone, but you do need to share enough of of the basics. You might not get all of that done at one sitting. It oftentimes takes, takes many conversations to see a soul brought into the kingdom of God with, with a friend or, or your child at home, or just, just maybe at, at your family devotions around the table. Just over time, you want to flesh out for them a little bit of of the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Lots of people today say they, they, they believe in Jesus, but they don't really know much at all about Jesus. And that is a dangerous place to be. It is critical that we know who Jesus is. Jesus at one point with his disciples, he looked at them and he said, who do you say that I am? And that's a critical question for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? And Peter here, he shares some of the identity of Jesus with this crowd. 
And it goes like this. Verse 11 says this healed man is now clinging to Peter and John. You can just picture him. He's probably thanking them profusely, hugging them, probably close to smothering them. And, 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 and verse 11 there says that all the people at the temple, now astounded at what has happened, well, they ran to them in Solomon's portico or Solomon's colonnade. It was an area just inside the temple gate It ran that, that ran along the wall of the temple courts, had this um, double row of marbled columns that supported this, this cedar roof, and it was open on the inside that, that faced the temple building itself. I've got a couple photos. I don't know how well you can see this here. That's the whole temple complex. You see the central gate to the temple right in front here, and you enter into the courtyard of the temple, you can see along the wall of the temple those little columns. Well, this is right as you enter the gate, that's Solomon's portico there, and it was open facing the temple building itself. Here's another photo. Uh, This is not the temple itself. This is actually a place in Athens, but this is what Solomon's portico would have looked like just inside the temple gate along the temple courtyard. If you think back into the Bible, Jesus taught a lot in Solomon's colonnade there in the temple complex. And this crowd has now gathered there around Peter and John, and Peter now addresses this large and very astounded crowd. Now, man, if you kind of track through the book of Acts, this guy Peter he is Johnny on the spot when it comes to preaching, man. Back in Acts chapter 2, this, the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and a large crowd gathered. And Peter sees it and he stands up and starts preaching. And now again, Jesus working through him healed this man. A large crowd gathers and Peter stands and preaches again. He just sees this open door and he takes it. And shares Christ. And God is really good at opening doors for his people. Now God might not open a door just like this for every Christian. All of a sudden you have a huge crowd. And you can speak to hundreds if not thousands of people. But God is very good at opening doors for his people to share Christ. And the key for every Christian is to look for those open doors. To build relationships with the non-Christians around you. Love them. Serve them. And just wait for that open door. And then you need to walk through it. And be ready to share Christ. 2 Timothy 4.2 says this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. I think I I told you about a time in India. Thomas and I were there and we were just driving in the back of a car to, I thought we were just visiting some people and we arrived and the translator looked and said, who's preaching? And in about 30 seconds, I was standing and preaching the worst sermon I've ever preached. (laughs) I was not very uh, in season or, or ready to preach in season and out of season there. I did just come out of a dead sleep in the back of the car though, so I'll attribute some of it to that. Uh, Be ready in season and out of season. Peter himself later wrote this, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness 
and respect. And Peter, man, this guy was prepared here, sees the open door, and, and he shares Christ. And you know, when you look at this passage, the, the, really the first thing Peter does here is he just gets the attention off of himself. Man, it seems that, that these people here were all maybe initially giving credit for this miracle to Peter and John, astounded by these miracle workers that were, were now in town here. But man, Peter will not take credit for this thing. If you look at the middle of verse 12, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? We, we didn't do this thing. There, there, there's no way... But Peter will tell them who did do it, uh, instantly now pointing to Christ. Man, Peter is a really good preacher here in this passage. John Piper says that a good preacher aims to be just a finger. That's a good preacher pointing not to himself. To take glory from Christ. But a good preacher points to Christ relentlessly. Count Zinzendorf had a saying. I had it on my wall for a while. It goes like this. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. (laughs) That's a motto to live by. That's a preacher. You could say it another way. Preach Christ. Die and be forgotten. He must increase. I must decrease. And if that happens, I will hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Giving all the glory to him, not taking his glory. There's a hymn by Ada Whittington. goes like this. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be known, be heard, not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. And Peter, the good preacher that he is, is just a finger here, man, pointing instantly and relentlessly to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says initially, Jesus is the one who did this miracle. He mentions the name of Jesus very early in verse 13. And then you look again at what he says in verse 16. And he says, and his name, name of Jesus, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you people see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And Peter was probably referring there to his faith in Jesus and not necessarily the the healed man's faith in Jesus, saying to the crowd, I have faith in Jesus, and Jesus working through me, he is the one who's now healed this man here. But man, Peter also takes some time here to identify who Jesus is exactly. He tells them who Jesus is. And and Peter does it here in a way that would have meant something to this Jewish crowd. Man, if you get an opportunity to share Christ, 
in your neighborhood, at work, something like that. It, man, it helps so much to actually know your audience. Uh, it's one of the reasons why it's so important to build relationships with people so that you know those people, you, you know their stories, you, you know what they know and don't know about Christ, and you can tailor the gospel message to your audience. It's called contextualization. And, and some of you might be uncomfortable with that contextualization, but we see it all through the Bible. We see the apostles constantly tailoring the gospel message according to their context, according to their audience. You don't change the facts about Christ. That's critical. That's not good contextualization. You don't change the facts about Christ. You don't change the facts about that, the, the core gospel message. But according to your audience, you might tailor the way you present the, the facts concerning Christ and the gospel. Paul, in the book of Acts, we will see him contextualizing. He shares Christ very differently depending on his context. Paul speaks one way to Jews in the synagogue, and then he speaks very differently to, to Gentiles or non-Jews in, in Athens, um, for, for instance. He tailors the message for his audience. And Peter does that also. If you look back at Acts chapter 2, Peter is speaking to lots of foreigners in Jerusalem. And he tailors the message according to his audience. But now here in the temple, Peter is speaking almost entirely to Israelites, ethnic Jews. And he tailors his message to to them. Man, this right here, it is a very Jewish sermon. When, when Peter identifies Jesus, who is Jesus? Well, Peter goes out of his way here to connect Jesus to the Old Testament. The first two-thirds of your Bible, which is the Jewish Bible. Peter wants to connect Jesus to the Old Testament, showing this big crowd here that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of their Old Testament books. Peter identifies Jesus here with five different titles, and all of the titles are taken out of the Old Testament. I'm going to show you the titles. Peter says first here, as he identifies Jesus, he says first here that Jesus is God's servant. If you look again at the middle of verse 12, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when Pilate had decided to release Jesus. And Peter, right there, he has instantly just turned this makeshift sermon in a very Jewish direction. He just starts out there, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, of, of Jacob, God of our fathers, Peter identifying himself as Jewish, 
this God has glorified his servant, Jesus. And Peter says there, you, you, you Jews, you delivered Jesus over to, to Pilate, to, to the Romans to, to die. And when Pilate decided to release Jesus, knowing that Jesus was, was innocent, you denied Jesus. Yelling, crucify, crucify him. And, and Jesus was killed. But God, Peter says, then glorified his servant, Jesus. Raised him from the dead. Exalted him back to heaven. Glorified his servant, Jesus. And man, listen. That phrase there, God's servant, that would have been huge to, to this Jewish crowd God's servant in the Old Testament books was the Messiah. The anointed, the anointed one who would one day come and save God's people. The servant was the Messiah. The Old Testament prophesied that this Messiah who would one day come, well, he would be a suffering servant. Isaiah 52.14 said this about this servant. His appearance would be so marred beyond human semblance. Isaiah 53.3 He'd be despised and rejected by men. This servant pierced for our transgressions. But the Old Testament also said that this servant would then be glorified. Isaiah 52.13 Behold, my servant shall be high and lifted up, shall be exalted. And just look at what Peter did. Peter just basically went back to those Old Testament books. He grabbed that title there and he says, Jesus is God's servant. And a, a, a second title Peter uses here to identify Jesus. Peter says that Jesus is also the holy and righteous one. If you look at the middle of verse 14 again. But you, you denied the holy and righteous one. And you asked for a murder to be granted to you. You know, when, when, when Pilate was standing there before all the Jews, and he had Jesus beside him after they'd handed him. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, knowing Jesus was, was, was innocent. So he said he would release one prisoner to the Jews. He'd either release Jesus, who he said was innocent, or he'd release Barabbas, a known murderer. And the Jewish people, instigated by the Jewish religious leaders, started calling out, release Barabbas, crucify. Jesus. And Peter now says that this Jesus whom they denied, he was a holy and righteous one. Another huge title for these Jews here. That word holy, it means set apart. Or it means anointed one. And the Old Testament said repeatedly that God's Messiah, God's servant, would be holy. Set apart, anointed. He'd also be righteous, the holy and righteous one. Jeremiah 23, 5 prophesied this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. 
And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Holy and righteous one. Peter now grabs that from the Old Testament books and says, that's Jesus. Holy and righteous one. A third title Peter uses here to identify Christ. He's the author of life. (laughs) You look at verse 15 again. He says, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Peter, he's just saying Jesus is the author, originator, founder, creator of all life, which takes you all the way back to creation in the Old Testament books. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God, the original author, creator of all life, and Peter now says, Jesus is the author of all life. How is that possible? Because Jesus is God in human flesh. The author of all physical and spiritual life. Jesus saying, I came to give them life, eternal life, and, 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 and to, to, to give it abundantly to them. A fourth title Peter uses here to identify Christ. He is also the prophet like Moses. If you look at verse 22, you see what Peter's doing. He's just laying these titles, title, 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 one after the other to identify Christ from the Old Testament. And he now says, Jesus is the prophet like Moses. If you look at verse 22, he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brother's. You shall listen to him, Moses said, in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And Peter once again, man, just back to the Old Testament. He just quoted from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses, I mean, the greatest prophet in Israel's history, who, who, who lived over a thousand years before this right here, Deuteronomy 18, Moses said that God will one day raise up another prophet like him. And everyone, Moses said, should listen to and obey this prophet. And whoever did not listen to or obey this prophet, he'd be destroyed, as Moses said. And Peter now says, Jesus is the prophet like Moses. That's who he is. And one final title that Peter just lays on top of all the rest here, identifying Christ, he's the offspring of Abraham. If you look again at verse 25, you you Jews are the sons of the prophets and sons of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And man, Peter, again, is reaching back into the Old Testament books, quoting now from Genesis 22, the covenant that God made with Abraham. God told Abraham, 
that, that he'd multiply Abraham's offspring. And God said that through Abraham's offspring, he would bless all the families or all the nations of the earth. And Peter now says, Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. God has now sent Jesus to you Jews first. Having raised him up, God's now sending him to you through my preaching in order that you Jews, first of all people on the, in the world, might be blessed in and through Christ through faith in this offspring of Abraham. And man, Peter now, in just a few sentences, has fleshed out here the identity of, of Jesus. Who Jesus is. And in, in, man, in this contextually savvy way that would have connected deeply with this Jewish crowd in front of him. He, he's, just, he's just weaving this, this tapestry, these, these five Old Testament titles, and applying all of them to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, here it is on the screen for you. This is the Jesus we love and worship here in Christ Redeemer Church. And I want you just to pause on that right there. That's who he is. So many people say they believe in Christ and they know very, very little about this Christ. Can I encourage you, go back through Acts chapter 3 this week, and will you please just meditate on or or just ponder those titles there? I would encourage you to pray those titles back to Jesus. You, Jesus, you're God's servant. You're the Messiah, the suffering servant who was despised, who was rejected, the one whose appearance was marred. You were pierced for transgressions, but you were then glorified back to the right hand of the Father. You, Jesus, you're you're, you're, you're the holy and righteous one. You're set apart. You're you're anointed. You're the righteous branch. You, You, Jesus, are the prophet like Moses. You, Jesus, you speak true words here in the Bible. Will you please help me to listen to your words and obey your words you, Jesus, you, you're the offspring, you're the author of life, which I miss, creator of all physical and spiritual life. You, Jesus, you're the offspring of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They'll just come to you in faith. That's you. That's who the Bible says Christ is. Ponder, pray those things. I encourage you to do that and see if that doesn't expand your heart a little bit concerning who this Jesus is. Peter just, uh, he just identified Jesus to this crowd. It's a critical element anytime Christians today share Christ with a, with a lost child or, or with a lost neighbor. Over time, you want to answer the question, who is Jesus? That's the first thing here. And a second critical element that we see here that that is necessary when sharing Christ with others. Mission. You, You don't just answer the question, who is Jesus? But you want to answer the question, why did Jesus come? His His mission. 
And man, Peter gives some of the mission of Jesus here in this little makeshift sermon. If you look closely at what happens here, Peter calls these people to repent, which we'll look at in just a second here. But when he calls them to repent, he gives them a few reasons why they should repent. Three different purpose statements all starting with the word that, or in order that. Why should you people repent? Well, look at verse 19. He says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. And man, with those little purpose statements right there, Jesus, He just gave us some of the mission of Jesus. Why He came to this earth. And you could sum up those, those three statements like this. Why, why did Jesus come? Forgiveness, refreshing, and restoration. And the first thing that Peter mentions here is, is forgiveness. He says, repent therefore that your sins may be blotted out. The Greek word for blot there means that something is obliterated, is destroyed, it's erased, leaving no trace. And the idea behind this Greek word for blotting out, it, it, it came from uh, ancient writing practices. William Barclay says this, he says, ancient writing was upon papyrus and the ink used had no acid in it. The ink, therefore, did not bite into the papyrus as modern ink bites into paper. It simply lay upon the top of the papyrus. And to erase the writing, a man might take a wet sponge and simply wipe it away. That was blotting out. I know many of you probably got in trouble in grade school. Uh, I'm looking at several of you I know got in trouble in grade school, and you may have had to come after school and blot out the chalkboard. Uh, I had to do that a few times, <laughs> clean the entire chalkboard in the whole room. Typically, usually after I'd have to write my sentences up there, I will never do this again. Uh, but you, you blot it out, and that's the idea here. And, and Peter now, he applies that to Christ from this crowd. One of the reasons why Jesus came his mission. He came to blot out your sins. He came to wipe your proverbial slate clean. Forgiveness. Amen. You, you know these Jews here looking, looking at Peter? These people here? They had some serious sins that needed to be blotted out. And do you know one of their primary sins that needed to be blotted out? They killed Christ. And Peter lets them know. Peter is one bold man right here. 
He is no longer running in fear like he did when he denied Christ earlier in his life. He is now very, very bold, surrounded by Jews, and Peter does not sugarcoat a thing. He doesn't tell a bunch of jokes here. Uh, he tried to, tried to he encourage these people in some way. He just goes right to the point. Did you see how many times here Peter told this crowd that they had killed Jesus? You look at the middle of verse 13. God glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. And you know what you won't find? You won't find Peter's method here in Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) You are not going to find Dale Carnegie saying, hey, turn to the book of Acts and let's look at Acts chapter 3 and how to win friends. No, but that's how you win souls. That's how you win souls to Christ. You are honest about their sin. You are honest about your own sin. You do not sugarcoat it. You have to talk about sin. That's the reason why people need to come to Christ. They don't need to come to Christ to have a happy life today. They don't need to come to Christ to get rich. They need to come to Christ to get their sins blotted out. And if you never tell people about their sins, they don't know why they would come to Christ. And you have to come up with other reasons to try to get them to Christ. And then when life gets hard for them, after they've come to Christ to become rich, they will walk away from Christ. Because they didn't come to Him to be forgiven. They came to be rich. And Peter won't do it. Peter will tell them why you need Christ. Because you killed Christ. Because you are sinners. And man, what these people did in killing Christ is even more shocking when you consider what Peter just said about Christ, connecting him to the Old Testament books. Jesus is God's holy servant, the Messiah. He is the holy and righteous one. He's the author of life. He's a prophet like Moses. He's the offspring of David. And you killed him. We were waiting for Him for hundreds of years and you killed Him. The Messiah. Serious sin. But you know, some people in history have taken this right here and they've become very anti-Jewish in a very sinful racial way. And before we get on some self-righteous high horse here and look down our nose at these Jews here, here's the thing that will keep you humble. You killed Christ too. The Bible says that Jesus, He went to the cross to pay for the sin of the world. It was your sin, ultimately my sin, that put Jesus on the cross. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. He went there for me, but Jesus did it in order that our sins through his death might be blotted out, might be obliterated, might be, might be destroyed, erased, no trace, the proverbial slate wiped clean. 
One reason Jesus came, his mission that Peter gives here is forgiveness. Another reason Peter gives here why Jesus came, refreshing. Repent, Peter says in verse 19, that your sins might be blotted out and that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. Oh my word, that's just so precious. Repent that times of refreshing might come to you from the presence of the Lord. Jesus came to give sinners like you and me times of relief. Refreshment times of rest in our souls. And the idea behind that Greek word for refreshing there is a cool breeze. Jesus came to breathe upon your dry, your parched soul because of sin. He came to breathe a cool breeze upon you. And Peter says it comes from the presence of the Lord himself, which is probably a reference to the Holy Spirit whom you receive when you come to Christ. You receive within you the living water of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ Himself. And just picture here, just picture a person in the desert dying of thirst and you crawl over your last dune and there's this crystal blue, cool river of water. And imagine as you crawl down and just begin to take that in as it just explodes inside of you. And this refreshing, and Peter's saying here, Jesus came to do that. In your soul. Now, if you're a Christian, you know you don't always feel this refreshing in your soul as a Christ follower. There are many times you still feel very dry in your soul, but the Holy Spirit is there. This living water within you. The Holy Spirit giving you times of refreshing. Forgiveness, refreshing. A couple reasons why Jesus came as mission. And one final reason Peter gives here why Jesus came as mission, restoration. Peter says in verse 21, he says that heaven must receive Christ. Now that he's ascended, heaven must receive him until the time for restoring all things has come. So he gives you times of refreshing until the time for restoring all things has come. Another reason why Jesus came. In order that by dying and rising again for sin, He could come later. A second and and final time. And then on the basis of His cross work in the past, Jesus will then restore everything in this universe. Romans 8 says that because of humanity's sin, all of creation is now groaning. All of creation has now been subjected to death and decay. Everything in this universe moving closer and closer to death. You and I, everything around us moving towards death. The the, the curse for sin upon creation 
but Jesus will come back again someday. And the Bible says that he will then restore, he will renew, he will recreate everything in this universe, a new creation. Revelation 21, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. In C.S. Lewis's children's book series, I think I've told you about this, Chronicles of Narnia, the land of Narnia was covered with this perpetual winter, kind of like Minnesota, and it was there because of the curse of the White Witch, but Mr. Beaver knew that Aslan was coming back again someday, and Aslan would fix this problem. Mr. Beaver said this, he said, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. (laughs) And that right there is one of the reasons why Jesus came. That he might reverse the curse. Ultimately, restoring all things in this universe. And Peter's now given these people some of Christ's mission. Why did Jesus come? For forgiveness, refreshing, restoration. So important today when Christians share Christ with a, with a friend or with a child over time. Tell them why Jesus came. Tell, tell them why. And one final element in sharing Christ that we see here. Identity, mission, and call. At some point you have to call people to action. In light of who Jesus is, in light of what Jesus came to do, here now is what you must do. And notice Peter doesn't say, you better clean yourself up first. He doesn't say that. What does Peter say here? He says, you must repent. If you look at verse 19, here it is. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out in on and on. Same thing Peter said back in Acts chapter 2. You must repent. Repentance at its most basic level. It, it, it just means a change. It means a, a turning of, of the heart or, or mind. You turn away from sin. You, you turn to God crying out for, for, for mercy. And Peter, he's mentioned this turning. He mentions it twice in in this passage. He says this in verse 19. He says, repent therefore and turn back. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, God sent Jesus to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's repentance. You you turn from sin. You, You turn to God. And please hear me on this. Repentance is critical. You must repent. You you must repent. So many people today say they believe in Jesus. They've been baptized maybe. They they go to to church service, but they've never really turned away from sin. They, they, They still love and practice their sin and now just think they're going to heaven. But without a genuine repentance, there is no forgiveness from God. Without repentance, there is No forgiveness. Charles Spurgeon says this. He said, Let every man understand that he will never have remission of sin while he is in love with sin. And that if he abides or remains in sin, he cannot obtain the pardon of sin. There must be a hatred of sin, a loathing of it, and a turning from it, or it is not blotted 
out. Jesus said this in Luke 13.3, sums it up, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You must repent. It's not the only thing you need to do. The Bible's clear. You must also believe. Turn away from your sin and cling to Christ in faith. Begin to follow Christ in faith. Old Puritan Thomas Watson, he said, repentance and faith are like the two wings of a bird whereby we fly to heaven. And that's God's call for every sinner. In light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's done, what's, what's the call to you? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Turn from your sin, trust in Christ, and then keep repenting and believing. Because as Luther said, all of the Christian life is repentance. You see more sin and you turn. And you turn. And you turn. And you believe. And you believe. And you believe. And at some point in time, man, sharing Christ with others, you have to tell them. You must repent and believe. Now hopefully you say that with compassion and love in your heart. You know the terrors of hell and you want them to be in God's kingdom. And you say it because of love. But you say it. And that's not easy to do. Man, Peter's laid it out here. Just three elements for sharing Christ with with others. It's just not easy to do any of those. To share the identity of Christ, the mission of Christ, the call of Christ. Yeah, it's hard with your neighbors or your friends. Rico Tice talks about you're crossing a pain line with these people to share Christ. And when you cross that pain line and begin to share Christ, you might run into hostility which we'll see in the next chapter here. But you'll also run into hunger. And man, may God help us to share Christ as Christians. If you've not already repented and believed, today's your day. And then man, may God help us to go and to share Christ for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy. We would just ask you for your help, Lord God. We would ask you for your help, Father. I do pray that you would give faith right now and the gift of repentance in this room. And those who are here have not ever truly repented, you would help them to do it this morning. Give the gift of faith that people might cling to Christ. And Father, I pray that those of us who have repented and believed in Christ, Father, you give us boldness with our friends, with our, our, our loved ones, with our children. With, with, with other family members, give us boldness to cross the pain line. When we have the open door, to walk through that open door and begin to share Christ. Here's who He is. Here's what He did. And here's now what you must do. Father, strengthen us, we pray, for your glory and for the joy of all peoples. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.